Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Uh, a fairly elated, I would say, Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We've got lots to talk to you about today. Uh, I'm here, as always, with Ruth. How are you doing, Ruth? Um, well, as you know, it's been a bit of a bit of a strange weekend over here, personally. But um, but the football certainly brightened brightened a couple of days over the weekend. So yeah, elated elated on that side at least. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we should uh, lay down early doors that we're both having a bit of a mare at the minute. I've got a strong cold on the go, not COVID, uh, just in case anyone's concerned. And I also had a fairly hefty root canal uh, this this afternoon, so I am uh, I can't feel half of my face, uh, and I uh, I sound I, I I I'm as rough as I sound, which is probably not great. Um, uh, Ruth's had a bad weekend as well, so I think we're gonna we're gonna give you our best shot and hope that the uh, the football is the thing that is, uh, has cheered us all up over the last couple of days. Um, Ruth, um, how did you uh, how did you watch the Belarus game? Um, I ended up watching. Both games are at home in the end, um, and I'm, I'm I'm glad I did actually because of uh, everything else that's been going on. I should just explain to people. Unfortunately, our doggy had to be put down on Monday, so that kind of took the took the weekend. Um, so uh, yeah, so I was just at home watching watching both games. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm. I will say this now for the sake of the audience, but I'm obviously that's awful news. So I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I uh, had a slightly different weekend to you, I think. Um, I landed in in, uh, in Bristol Airport on Friday night, got back uh, just in time for my mum to still be awake and uh, hand pour me a Guinness, which was, which was a very nice start to the weekend, and then got to see a few people and went out with my pals on Saturday before uh, obviously heading to the match. Went to some cracking little pubs. The Butcher's Arms in Canton I've not been to before. I kind of uh, mildly enjoyed that. It was good. Uh, and then went to the City Arms after the match. So, yeah, it was good. We... Uh, we had a really good day. It was good to see people again and uh, in in you know prepare for the match if you like in the right way by uh, drinking to excess and uh, really enjoying ourselves. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and the atmosphere I've got to say at the ground was fantastic and the anthem as always is uh, an 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 interesting one when you go back, especially in these sort of big games and the noise. I just thought was uh, was fairly fantastic at the ground. Um, to look at the Belarus game, um, we'll start with the starting lineup. Any surprises for you in that? I, personally, I was kind of just glad that we seemed to go for it and kind of really commit to that and really commit to getting as many goals as we could from the game. No, I was actually really happy with the lineup. I thought, um, I mean, there was, you know, there was always going to be questions about some players, not in terms of their potential to contribute, but just whether they were match ready. Uh and you know some some of the rust was there. I think in that game, I think it showed occasionally. But in in terms of the eleven that went out, I was I was certainly happy with with that combination. Um, you know when you consider Moore was was unavailable, I think it probably is our our best eleven after that. Yeah, I agree with you. I was uh, I was really glad to see a few things happen. I thought I, I was glad to see um, Harry Wilson come back in, and I was glad that we stuck with that kind of. Three five two or five three two, however you want to look at it, sort of midfield, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I really liked that lineup. I thought it worked really well. I thought obviously Bale, you know, was not not quite himself. Had got a quiet game. We'll come to that, but I think in terms of the setup, I think that's that's a really strong way for us to go forward. And I think by having one holder and and two attacking midfielders, I think really worked for us really well. I thought. Uh, Harry Wilson's work rate as a, as a consequence of the extra kind of stuff he had to do was fantastic. So yeah, all told, I, I thought it was the right way to line up. I was surprised that we lined up that way. I didn't necessarily think that would be how we did it. Um, but I was really, really mm-hmm. happy with that. And like I say, got, glad we went for it. I mean, the big thing really that I think kind of changed the game at the right at the start was that early goal. I think it made a big, big difference, didn't it? Yeah, undoubtedly. I think if you, you know, you, you look at how we were playing against Estonia for it, example that you know if the the luck didn't go with us and we were ch- we were chasing it felt like we were chasing our our tails a bit in that game at home whereas in 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 this one we were able to sort of take control pretty early i mean i i think it's i, I think it's an interesting score line versus the performance um i think 5-1 makes it seem like 
it was a bit of a sort of offensive masterclass. And actually, it, it, I, I don't think the game was particularly, you know, the first two goals were at least in part on their goalkeeper and probably quite a big part. And the third was a penalty and, you know, several several goals from from defensive players. And so I think it was an interesting, it was an interesting way to get to a 5-1 win, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I think the flip side to that is, you're right, we didn't kind of create loads of chances in, in a traditional sense. But in terms of it being an attacking masterclass, we had 18 shots, almost 70% possession. We completed pretty much twice as many passes as them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we did completely dominate the game. We had five corners. I think everything that could have gone well in 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 front of goal did go well which was obviously a mild bit of luck but I think you know I mean I agree with you entirely about their goalkeeper though he's terrible I think you could probably make an argument he was culpable for four of the five goals if you wanted to I thought why he's coming off his line and flapping at air for the Ben Davies Mm -hmm. goal he was he was miles off it there so uh, you know you could maybe pin that one on if you want to be super harsh Um, and obviously he gave us the goal that uh that made the difference when we were out in uh, Russia as well. So, you know, maybe he yeah. should be uh, maybe he should be our player of the tournament so far. Who knows? <laughs> um, it's an interesting thing you say there, though, about the the offensive masterclass, if you like. I think that the early goal definitely helped, kind of settled us down. And by the time it was two two nil, it was all over. I thought you say that, but I think that the the big thing that made a difference to me in terms of how we kind of pushed on in the game was Brennan Johnson coming on, um, because I thought he was really direct. He was uh, constantly wanted the ball. He was constantly looking to attack. And I think he kind of gave us fresh impetus in an attacking sense when he came on and replaced Gareth Bale. So I know what you mean. We weren't kind of, you know, making the keeper, you know, forcing the keeper into a string of saves left, right and centre. But I think our attacking Mm -hmm. impetus was excellent. I I can't disagree overall. Um, I'm with you. I thought Johnson coming on at, start the second half made a difference if you look at the sort of the second half of the first half as it were after we after we'd scored uh the second goal after nico williams had scored that part of the game was pretty flat actually and you know yes we we had a couple of chances but it was it was pretty tame that that 20 25 minutes and i and i thought johnson really kind of stirred the pot coming on and um and his his energy definitely contributed to how much more um, much more sort of engaged and threatening we looked in the second half. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, the one thing I, when we were talking about Brendan Johnson there. One thing I did want to mention was Bale. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it was fantastic to be there and fantastic achievement for him. And uh, I was a just. I wonder if they, you know, they they kept making a point afterwards about the the substitution being planned. I, I, I can't help but shake the feeling that probably wasn't true because surely <laughs> if, if you want to bring him off in that sense, you bring him off and you give him a round of applause. You don't bring him off at half time. Like we came and like Brendan Johnson, like they made the announcement, Brendan Johnson's on for Gareth Bale. I mean, like, oh, bloody hell. Um, so it was a little bit weird. I know he did get a moment at the end, but it did make me think that that was almost certainly not planned. Yeah. I mean, he was relatively quiet in that half, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. I, I mean, I know we discussed in the in the pre-pod whether we would play Bale in the Belarus game or the Belgium game if we if we you know if the thinking was you can't get two games out of him, um, and I wonder whether playing him in the Belarus game when more wasn't available was sort of an, somewhat an easy decision for for Paige in the, okay, so I've got one game where I can play Bale and James. I've got a second game where I can play Moore and James. And it almost kind of takes what is actually quite a difficult decision if they're all fit and available off the table um, and allows you to keep that formation of two up front. Uh, and so I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether the decision to play him in this game was as much about Moore's availability sort of entwined with Bale's capacity to play, as it turned out, just 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, we were going to mention the formation overall kind of mm-hmm. a little bit further down, but as you mentioned it now, let's let's do that now. I think okay. this, this formation, I think, really suits us. 
I think it plays to our strengths perfectly, and I think it utilizes our what I will call in the nicest possible way, and I'll clarify in a minute, our bit part players in their best mm-hmm. ways. So, for example, Ethan Ampadu, I, I, I love him. I'm not referring to him as a bit part player, but he's certainly not our star man. He's not going to win us a game uh, when I'm talking about our bit part players. This allows him to be his best self when he's in a three. Mm-hmm. He can play in midfield and in defence. He can pass the ball about. He's got people there to support him and help him. In the same way that we've got these incredibly attacking, committed, athletic fullbacks, and this system allows them to get forward in their way. Ramsey's in the number ten role. You can put Kiefer Moore up front. To an extent, this utilizes everyone else in their best way, almost better than it does our star players in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really clever way of doing it. The problem is, and you've kind of alluded to it, there is. If we continue playing this way, and you know, I've changed my mind 300 times, but I think this might <laughs> be the one I like the most, having seen it in the flesh a couple of times, is that it does mean we always will be without one of Gareth Bale, Kiefer Moore, or Daniel James. And then that's an interesting kind of person to leave out. Which one of those three do you leave out? Well, this one, almost impossible, really. It also means Bale has to play up front in that, in that mm-hmm. system. He can't play anywhere else, which I personally think is probably his best bet for Wales at the moment given his fitness injuries so I I think Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting one but with the obvious dilemma at the end of where does this leave one of those three people every game and I think that the answer to that probably is it's actually probably a good problem to have in the sense that Bale is Gareth Bale he's not always 100% fit at the moment Uh, he's obviously getting a bit older and injuries are catching up with him Kiefer Moore just has to enter the stadium to get booked um, so there's a strong chance on the balance of play you're probably going to be missing one or other of them so it's actually quite a clever way of doing the system if you look at it in that sense but I don't know if I'm being a bit too uh, idealistic I guess in how that's all kind of panned out No I I, I think I mean my, my notes basically echo what you said that you know will will Gareth Bale and I'm not talking about in the immediate but uh, you know is he actually going to become our impact sub on the basis that we can't get 90 minutes out of him going forward because of his physical condition and you know more as you say more only has to look at a football and he's getting a yellow card and um and and he's not the only one that has a pretensity for picking up yellows either um so I th- I think it might be a problem that perhaps won't be a problem that often, ironically, because of the wider picture things, as you're saying, you know, Moore's Moore's propensity to get bookings, Bale's propensity to be carrying injuries. Um, So I, I think right now I'm, I'm just sort of prepared to, to just let that sit as a, okay, perm two from three as and when circumstances might make it two from two and actually perhaps you don't have to perm two from three that often because you haven't got to make those decisions the other thing i like about this system is that we can play it play that baseline system but with a slightly different structure to the midfield depending on the opposition you know joe morell coming in for the for the belgium game as a, a sort of extra body slightly more defensive midfield, although I think he had a very good offensive game in fairness, and we'll we'll come to that later. But I like the fact that you can kind of have almost Alan Ramsey and then add Wilson if you want to be more offensive and add Morel if you want to be more defensive. And that decision might just come down to the opposition and what you're looking for in the games. And so I think... I'm with you. I like the baseline of the five-three-two, and I, I think, I mean, looking looking at these these two games, the thought that we've got years to come of Nico and um, and Dan James running down, you know, their respective wings, and just that just fills me with joy straight away. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the point you make there about the midfield balance and variety is a really interesting one because I think we we saw that both times. And I think, I wonder if maybe Paige learned a lesson from that Denmark game there in that 
they made a small tactical tweak and it made a big difference to the outcome of the game in the end. And maybe he's mm-hmm. thought to himself, well, this three five two actually allows me to do that in-game without changing the system or m- many other people yeah. around it. So I wonder he, if he's kind of learnt from that circumstance. And if that is the case, which is what I kind of suspect, um, I think that um, it is really clever way to kind of do things. Um, you mentioned Nico Williams there. We were kind of chatting at the pub afterwards. Who was our man of the match? And, and a decent portion of us said Nico Williams. I, I thought he was just absolutely sensational. His movement, his energy, his drive to get forward. Obviously, he got a goal, you know, assist from the goalkeeper again. But um, he had chances. He, You know, we had a great kind of long curling effort in the second half as well. I just thought he was a constant performer. He was He was everywhere. I thought he had an outstanding game. Yeah, he was superb um, in both games, in fairness. Uh, I think he stood out a little bit more in the Belarus game, perhaps because the, yeah. the rest of the team weren't as weren't showing of their best. I thought Ramsey had a very good game, but really it was more sort of, it was more workmanlike performance, ironically, wasn't it? Despite the, the goal, the, 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 the number of goals. Um but no, he was he was sensational. I thought I I, I would agree with you. I think he was uh, in that game at least was the the best player and certainly our best player across the two games. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I I can't disagree with you. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention uh, in the Belarus game because it was a fairly routine win. We're not spending too much time in it. I mean, you could, we could probably analyze things from from uh, uh, onwards and over and over and again. But I mean, realistically, we've scored four goals that were probably the goalkeeper's fault and the fifth one was a penalty. Um, and ironically, the best goal of the game uh, came from the opposition. It was an absolute, it was the opposite end of the ground to us, but it was an absolutely fantastic strike. And there was a strong, you know, polite amount of repl- applause when it went in around us. Um, it was it was just a sensational strike. And watching it back, um, just a superb finish. And uh, it was an odd one that that was the goal of the game, really. Yes, yeah. That's another... another example of where the scoreline doesn't actually tell you much about the much about the game really isn't it um yeah Cosfoy strike was was lovely and I, I think they'd been kind of pushing a bit uh in that I don't know the five ten minutes around that part of the game um there was a, a header I think that was saved just just prior to that yeah uh so you know they had they had their moments, and, and I don't disagree with you. That was definitely the, the goal of the game. Uh, a great finish. And I'm sure if you were sort of looking down the field at it, it must have looked particularly striking. Yeah, it really kind of whipped across the goal into the back of the mm-hmm. net. It was quite surreal watching that in real time because he hit there. It was, I was almost going to be like, Way! and you think, oh, Christ, that's gone in. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely the goal of the game. Um, I think you're right that, you know, they kind of, they did try and do a bit more what they did in, in, mm-hmm. in Kazan, actually, in the second half, I thought, try and kind of be a bit more counter-attacking, which obviously worked well for them. But obviously by that point, the game was, was dead and buried. Um, I think... It was. I would just describe it as a as a box ticking exercise to an extent. We did everything we needed to do. It was a very professional performance. The only disappointment, obviously, was Ethan Ampadu's yellow card. Um, and other than that, I thought it just kind of ticked every ticked every box in a in a very professional but very kind of threatening way. At the same time, having scored the five goals. Yeah, there's there's two points I want to discuss a bit more there. I thought. The fact that we went out not just to get the three points in this game, but to do what we could about the goal difference. Um, obviously, ultimately, that's we've, we've ended up a couple of goals to the better versus how Turkey finished out, and that's what's put us in the in the home playoff group. So I think the whole, as you say, the whole sort of professional approach to both games, I think, was really was really manifest in in. That, that part of how we played. Um, I did want to talk to you about Ampadu and, his, and, and discipline. Do you think there's actually a discipline sort of issue there with him? I, do you know what? I, it's funny. I was going to raise a similar point with Kiefer Moore as well. So whilst, whilst we're here, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do these both. I think there's a... I don't think it's a discipline thing. I think it's a maturity thing. I think it's a lack of 
international football maturity. And I think Ethan Ampadu is an amazing player and I don't think he has a discipline issue. I think he has an edge to him and I think those are two different things. And I think if you take the edge off him, he's not the same player anymore. So I don't think that needs to happen to him. The problem is he needs to have a bit more understanding. I think a lot of that is coming from being out on loan in different places, not having a settled home um, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in a footballing sense. And yeah. you're often thrown into circumstances where... <sighs> To an extent, the consequences to your actions are fairly limited. If things go badly for you, go back to your parent club and you have a, a, a shed load of money. And if things go really well, you maybe get a move somewhere else you want. There's no permanent thing. If things go badly, you don't get promoted or relegated. You just go back. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be critical of Ethan Amadou. I think it's just part of his kind of football experience at the moment. And I think as a consequence, I think when he does that and gets his booking... I think the score was 3-0 at that time. He just he just doesn't need to do that. He just needs mm-hmm. to be sensible and have a bigger awareness of the situation. It's It didn't cost us, but it could have, and it was just t- totally unnecessary. And I would say the same to an extent with Kiefer Moore. And I know we have this ongoing joke, everyone does. He just has to walk near a referee or an opposition player when he gets booked. I thought he actually handled the situation excellently yesterday, Kiefer Moore. I thought he was very, very unlucky, in fact, some of the decisions that went against him and, you know, his opponent, you know, kind of cleaned him out, elbowed him in the back of the head once or twice and kind of got away with it as well. The flip side to that is, I think it's Witzel he hits when he gets his yellow card. When he goes up for that header, he doesn't need to be at full stretch. He doesn't need to be at full tilt. But he still has got his forearm out in front. And I know it's part of protecting himself. And I understand all of that. But there is an, there needs to be a better level of awareness there. If the referee's going to keep doing the same thing, it means you can't keep doing the same thing. And I think in that instance yeah. there, I mean, he's probably about you know five foot taller than Witzel. He does not need to lead with his elbow in that in that way. And I think, as I say, different thing to Ampadu in terms of a discipline issue. I just think it's an understanding of international football and the circumstance. And it. I don't want to take anything away from them. I thought, again, I thought Kiefer Moore was fantastic last night. But I think both of them need to reflect on this moving forward because if we want to qualify for a World Cup, that's one thing. Kiefer Moore is instantly now a yellow card away from missing another game, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's already been suspended once. Obviously, Ampadu's got a clean slate now to an extent going into the playoffs, which, you know, mm-hmm. you know, accidentally, I suppose, is a good thing. Um but we can't keep being in this circumstance. This The same thing can't keep happening. Something needs to be changed and it needs to be addressed. And sometimes, you know, you can't do anything. The referee makes a bad decision or overreacts. It is what it is. What it is. But we've, I think we and he has, have got to do something actively now to stop being in that circumstance. And again, I'm not suggesting jump with your arms by your side. That's ridiculous. But be aware of where you need to be aggressive and when you need to be aggressive and who you can be aggressive to kind of be streetwise in that sense and I think that is a that's a skill that needs to be learnt by both of them yeah I would uh, talking about Ampadu first yeah I don't think it's a discipline issue because that makes it sound like he is undisciplined and I don't think he's picking up yellow cards in that way I agree with you. I think he's pick, he's picking up yellow cards because he's making the wrong decision at the wrong moment. When you're 3-0 up in a game and you're already sitting on a yellow and you know what's coming on Tuesday, you don't need to make that challenge. Yeah. And I think it it's that it's that um yeah, I think maturity, that decision making I think is what's the issue, not his actual like style of play per se but when to, when to use what style of play under what circumstances. And I, I agree with you. I think that's echoed with Kiefer Moore as well. And there are, there are inconsistent decisions by referees. He was wiped out in the first couple of minutes of yesterday's game and the Belgian player wasn't booked. Um, was it Teta? Yeah, and so. Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I think you have to accept, unfortunately, that there are going to be these inconsistent refereeing decisions. And and you have to be wise to that. You can't make assumptions that, oh, X got away with something, so I'm going to get away with something. I think you have to assume that you are carrying a little bit of a marked, being a little bit of a marked man in that sense from referees. And I, I'm with you. I think there needs to be some evaluation for both of them about how um, 
how they can impose their physicality at the right times under the right circumstances and try and avoid these unnecessary yellow cards. I don't think we're going to get either of them to avoid yellow cards, but avoid the unnecessary yellow yellow cards. And Joe Morrell's card yesterday falls into that category. It wasn't really, yeah. it wasn't a tackle that needed to happen when it did, or no. at least in that way. Yeah, I agree. I thought the Morrell one was the was really frustrating. I've you know we've we've said a lot of positive things about Joe Morrell, and again he had a great performance yeah. last night, and you he, could he see had a great game yesterday. The, yeah. the, the the frustration on his face when he gets that yellow card, you could mm-hmm. see straight away he knew what had happened. But the ref pointed out to him, and to be fair, I've point I've warned you twice. This is the third time. Yeah, and it was a stupid tackle. He didn't need to do it. It's the middle of the pitch. He's going nowhere, and it's he's half an hour late. There's no need, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of it. I think is. And I don't want to be, it's not just a Joe Morrell thing. I don't want to be critical of him because, again, I thought he was great. But I think there's an element of that from people like him who I think to an extent, when you're playing League One football, you can be a bit more desperate, Dan, if you like. You can lunge mm-hmm. into things a bit more and get away with it. And you can be a bit more physical. And I think the flip yeah. side of that is when you're in international football, you really, really can't. You have to be more careful. And I think that is, like you said, is an example of not, we don't want to take that edge away from people. We just need people to be mm. more kind of football savvy in that sense. Um, but I agree. I mean, the, the only upside I can, I can take from it is that Ampadu is now, you know, clean slate for, for the, for both of the qualifiers. Yeah. Um, and I think as much as I like Joe Morrell, I, he's not as big a miss as let's say a Ramsey or someone like that. So there is that kind of element to things as well. So I think you know, as disappointed as I am for Joe, I, I do think it could be worse from, from a, from a team perspective. So, I mean, there yes, is, I there mean, is when, that. when you consider how many players went into these two games, sitting on one yellow card for us to only have lost Ampadu for yesterday's game and not actually have lost anyone formally going into the playoffs, you know, I think that's, that's probably as good an outcome as we could have hoped for, given the level of yellows that we're carrying. Oh, what, what I do think that I do think the carrying into carrying them into the playoffs is quite interesting. I know the Scots are, have formally put in a sort of request to UEFA that these yellows are expunged, and and we're backing it. I think several other uh, federations are backing it. It, it seems a very strange situation to me when you've got teams, well, one, it's an incredibly long run of games for people to only get two yellow cards and then miss a game. But you've also got some groups um, where they've had extra games relative to our, yeah. our group. Yeah. Um, I, I think Were the Scots in that category? Yes, they were, yeah. Yeah, they were in that category. So... Presumably, you've got two extra games in which you could have garnered yellow cards. So that seems that seems unfair in itself. So you've got one pool of teams that have played more games than others, and yet the yellow cards are viewed the same. And you can't you can't impose a system where you expunge the yellow card. You know how in the points table they take away what happens against the bottom team so that you can make comparisons yeah yeah you can't do that with yellow cards because it's it's the yellow cards actively affect the next game they they might even affect who you play in the next game you might rest someone because you want to protect them so you can't ignore you can't ignore the fact that the yellow a yellow card happened against the sixth place team in in a particular qualifying group so it it just there seems to be a lot of sort of errors in the system never mind the fact that fundamentally i think the system's ridiculous well i mean yeah i mean you, you know someone like scotland for example if they get to the final mm-hmm. the playoff final that'll be their 12th game in this campaign with only yeah. two yellow cards for people before i mean that's absolutely ridiculous yeah. when in fact when you actually think about it you're you're saying that's what you're playing 12 games, you're only allowed to get booked once effectively before yeah. before there's a consequence, which is absolute insanity. I think yeah. the the point that I, I saw today on Twitter, I forget who it was, so apologies if it's you, but someone made the point of Cristiano Ronaldo stands to miss the, uh, the first semi-final in, in terms of uh, Portugal's playoff game. So if you're, if you're UEFA, 
okay, you may not care about Joe Morel or whoever else, but I'm pretty sure you want uh, Cristiano Ronaldo playing in those games. So I think the the biggest name of them all at the moment in the European competition being in the position where he would stand to miss the first game will probably uh, will probably ha- hammer things home, in my humble opinion. Um, so I, <laughs> I, I do think you know we, we, we will get a clean slate there, which is, uh, which is important. Um, so yeah, hopefully... Hopefully, some common sense prevails there. Um, mm. I uh, am ready to move on to the next game. If you are Ruth, to talk about yes. last night. Yep, yep. That's my uh, AOB for the first game. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Okay. So to move ahead then and look at the Belgium game. I mean, what a fantastic performance to start off with. Um, I think it was an excellent display of what we're kind of truly capable uh, when we play against certain teams and and uh, and the quality we possess. I mean, for me, the starting lineup changes were the right ones. I think bringing in an extra defensive midfielder. Um, I think, especially because the injury, uh, the suspension, sorry, to Ethan Ampadu. I think we needed that extra cover. So I think to have mm-hmm. him have him come in there and kind of shore up the midfield with with Joe Allen was the right decision. Obviously, with Bale not being able to play, it was a no-brainer that Kiefer Moore came in. And I think looking at it in the first instance, Meffin was the right decision to 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 come in for Ampadu, I think. With that said, in hindsight, I'm not sure it was the right decision, but I, I don't think there would have been any, any qualms about that team selection in the first instance. Certainly not from me. No, no, again, um, I was I was more than happy with this with this selection. And I think um I, th- I think in some respects the, the events of Saturday almost sort of determined this. Bale clearly wasn't wasn't fit, so that was an easy decision. Moore had become available. Ampadu was uh, unavailable. So I think I think the the kind of the fitting those slots it just it just made sense. What you once you decided that you were going to go a touch more defensive and hence Wilson was probably sacrificed. Then I think this, this starting 11 to sort of the the dominoes just fall into place, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing there is looking at the bench, there was only actually one center half on the bench in the end in James Lawrence Mm -hmm. after, after everything else. So, and I think Mevin was definitely more um, mobile, shall we say, than James Lawrence uh, against a kind of quite a dynamic team. So again, I thought there was, there was only one option in that sense there, really. So I was I was happy with the team selection. Um, I've got to say, more coming in. Uh, I know he's obviously scored the goal, but I, I think I want to start by saying I just thought he was absolutely fantastic. His work rate and energy was just absolutely unbelievable. I thought he was non-stop. And there was a moment at the end where I think it was Ben Davis kind of pinged a ball down the channel, and he was definitely not going to get anywhere near it. And he looked absolutely gassed. But he went after it and chased the ball down the dead end because that's what his team needed. And I, mm-hmm. I really admired that. And, you know, that kind of permeates across the whole front line. Then it's easier to, to press and attack and be on the front foot when you know people behind you are watching you do it. And that forces them into doing it as well. I just thought, I just thought as an all round performance, especially off the ball, I, I just thought he had a fantastic game. Yeah, I think he was, it was a, a very good demonstration that he is so much more than just the big man, isn't it? And, you know, we keep coming back to this idea that his his technique's actually pretty good. The goal, I like the composure for the goal. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think the miles he covered, I'd to think what his, what his stats were. Um, but I, and I think he and James kind of epitomised that, you know, just keep pressing, just keep pushing, just keep running, just keep at them. Uh, and, and they did that for the entire game. And I, I think that was... You know, particularly with a Belgium team that had so many changes, we can't. You know, we we obviously weren't playing the absolute first eleven, but it was clearly a very strong team. Um, and I think, you know, with a with a new a sort of new defensive combination there, uh, player getting his first cap and things, I think it was really important that 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 sort of pressure stayed on as consistently as possible. And, and as you say, uh, Moore did a very good job of that. I agree. And, and just to, to go on the mobility issue there, we've talked a lot about Jeff Cott in the last few weeks. And I, I just wanted to touch on the under-21s game very briefly before. They lost uh, 1-0 to Switzerland not long before the uh, mm-hmm. the seniors game kicked off. And it was a really enjoyable game, actually. I thought it was two kind of good open teams really going for it. The, 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 the Welsh boys were very unlucky, I thought. Um, had a couple of chances. Ref disallowed a goal right at the end for what seems like no reason. Um, 
But the main reason I wanted to watch it was to see a bit more of Jeffcott. And whilst the boy's definitely got potential, he's a goal scorer, him and Moore are absolute worlds apart. And having watched him a few times now, it, I think I've got to the point where I agree with Rob Page that I don't think he's he's ready yet. He's certainly not ready in a goal scoring sense. He's, he's certainly not, not ready in a in an awareness sense, but I think it is his mobility. I think that's the thing that Kiefer Moore gives you that I think you think that, that you think a big man, if you like, wouldn't give you. Uh, and he really does it. And Jeffcott just can't do that. He's not quick enough. He's not mobile enough. He's, I don't want to say he didn't look fit enough because that's harsh coming from a, from a tubby bloke like me, but he, he certainly didn't look lean like Kiefer Moore does, shall we say. So I, I think... We need to kind of bear that in mind. Whilst the goal scoring from Jeff Cott is impressive, I think it's worth remembering sometimes that Kiefer Moore is more than just goals. And I think to, to the last night was a perfect demonstration of that, really. Yeah, I mean, it might come back to what we were discussing previous. Well, the two different things that we were discussing previously, this need for a more substitute, as it were. And we haven't found that. And I think Jeff Cott comes, comes into discussion because he might be that. But perhaps Paige has come to the conclusion that basically it's more in James or it's Bale in James, and and that's his kind of either or scenario, um, and and hence he's not really looking for a for an additional forward in the in the uh, you know a, a like for like substitute in the way that perhaps we've been advocating. No, I I would agree with that, and I think the alternative is probably Bale. Uh, or more depending mm-hmm. on how you do it and the alternative to that would be a Tyler Roberts and I still am yeah. not convinced by Tyler Roberts I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole again but <laughs> I think though you do have three genuine alternatives to one another there um, mm-hmm. in terms of what they can do Bale can hold up the ball well he can be mobile he can run at people he has obviously got a dynamite left foot on him um more can do those things as well and I think it's interesting that Tyler Roberts would be the plan because he's more mobile and quicker but he's obviously less of a hold-up man more of a link-up man coming deeper so <laughs> I do think maybe that is the option and I think you know uh, that's probably the, the the logical sensible way we will go forward and um, for as good as Moore was I've got to say that Mepham coming in I was thoroughly underwhelmed by him I'm not I don't want to dig people out because it was a great performance but I think his performance did worry me at times his kind of positioning and his I think it was his lack of composure was the thing that I noted most, where he just looked a bit on edge. I think on edge is a good way of describing it. I think he's quite a nervous player, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, like I think I think Rodden, in contrast, just oozes, and Ampadu does to a slightly lesser extent, just oozes this self-assurance, which is actually very appealing in central defensive players. Um, and I don't think Mepham just has that as a persona. And I th- so I think he's actually quite a naturally kind of jittery player. And again, that sounds more critical than I mean. But I just I just think that's sort of how he manifests himself. Um, and I, in his case, you can't really put it down to, to game playing time. Um, he's He's had a you know, a reasonable amount of minutes with with Bournemouth this year. He's knocking 600 minutes, which is considerably more than a lot of our players. Um, So I don't think you can say he's kind of out of sorts in terms of of game time really either. Um, So I think think it's an interesting case um, of how, how you help him get a little bit more assured and settled in that role. Yeah, I, I, you know, and you know, I, I think it was the right, to, still the right decision, you know, to pick mm. him coming in. I, I still don't think that James Lawrence would have done any but kind of better or worse anyway. So I, I you know, I think I, I don't criticise the decision. I think you know, it is just he needs to be ready for for international football, I'm, and I'm and I'm still not sure he can do that consistently. You know. Yeah, I think. I'm not. I'm not ready to say he's not the right choice alongside Rodden because I think there's a potentially very good partnership there. But I think they're just kind of mentally in quite different places in terms of how they see themselves as footballers. I don't know. Perhaps I'm overanalyzing this, but I. I just. I find that an interesting uh, contrast between the two of them. Watch, you know, and then you've got Ben Davies, who's this kind of old head. Um, 
so that I think as a trio, they make an interesting, uh, there's an interesting kind of diversity to them as players, which I, I find quite appealing going forward. I'm just, I just think we need to help Maps get there, basically. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's worth pointing out as well that he's been excellent for us on the mm-hmm. whole. You know, he's had the, an, you know, an odd wobble here and there, but he has been excellent yeah. for us on the whole. So there is definitely something in there for him. He can definitely, he's mm-hmm. good enough to, to play that way. Um, to look at the, the goals, uh, their goal, I thought, was a little bit fortunate. I mean, it was definitely coming. Uh, I, I think in the sense that they were kind of piling pressure on at that moment. I say coming, you know, they weren't battering us, but they definitely had a lot of the ball in that, kind of little mm-hmm. five-minute spell before they scored. They had a couple of corners, I think, just beforehand. And um, obviously, the, whilst the goal is fortunate in its kind of execution, I think that pressure was building. Um, and, you know, it was a bit of kind of pinball and ricochet. But the problem is, or the thing is, sorry, rather than the problem, well, it's a problem for us, is that when you have a player like Kevin De Bruyne, <laughs> he just needs one half a chance. And that's all he needed. And he absolutely pinged it. And it was a fantastic little finish. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we had a very good maybe three or four minutes to open the game and then certainly they were. You all right? Yeah. <laughs> Bless you. <Thank> you. <laughs> um, then they definitely took charge, I think, for, for, for the period, uh, well, for most of the first half, in honesty, but certainly for that period until they scored. And so I, I think you're right in the sense that momentum was building without them peppering us with... Um, with chances. I mean, ov- overall, we had three shots on target and they had four. So it was, you know, it was a very even game in that sense. Uh, but they were building possession. Um, and so I, I agree with you. I think it was coming in that sense. I mean, his finish is exquisite. I, he basically just sort of passes and places it into into the into that corner, doesn't he? Knows that Ward can't really see what's going on um, he said as much in his his interview after the game de bruyne um so i think yeah i think i think it was coming as as you say i think what i enjoyed most about that and i, I probably shouldn't say this as a wales fan I, I massively enjoyed the wales fans seeing you just a shit aaron ramsey uh, and then <laughs> just as that chance had finished he sticks the ball in the back of the net and kind of runs to the runs to the canton end with cup deers yeah and there's a brilliant po- photo he fo- posted on his twitter and on, on his instagram of him running towards the home fans with his ears cupped and the amount of angry mm-hmm. twisted faces from the wales fans is hilarious <laughs> but it is almost made funnier because there's about i would say like maybe one-fifth of the people in that photo who have obviously recognised the irony of the situation are just pissing themselves and laughing, um, <laughs> which I did think was uh, which I did think was excellent. Yeah, it was a fantastic it was a fantastic finish, and he's I think that's what happens when you get those players. I think what you said yeah. there about the possession and the pressure was interesting because I do think after that with they had a little spell like you said, but I think there was a little ten or so minute spell there where we looked a real threat. Um, and you know we kept the ball well. We were building things. We did go forward well. We did look um, to be, you know, on the cusp of creating something. And obviously, when the goal comes, lucky as well in an extent that James has three mm-hmm. goes of being able to cross it before he can actually cross it. Um, and even when he does get his ball across, there's two kind of fluff lines before the the, the ball comes to more. But I mean, I think it's hard. It's easy sometimes, sorry, to look at that goal and think that is just uh, a, a tapping to all intents and purposes. But the control and the composure and the awareness of what's around you to know what you can do and how quickly you can do it and you know where to set yourself and, and set your body around the ball and all of those things, that instinct was so good. And he's nailed it under the keeper. Low and hard from that distance is almost impossible to keep out. And... You know what a finish, but what absolute bedlam in the uh, in the home end where that goes in. The noise was absolutely unreal. I, I think it's the composure part that strikes me for that. They're, in some respects, they're somewhat similar goals, aren't they? And that they come from a sort of ricocheting bit of defensive work. No one really clearing it. Um, in, in James's case, a cross that probably should have been intercepted, that will affect Moore's thinking as well, because he's he's probably leaning, you know, mentally you're leaning towards the defenders getting a nick on it and it ricocheting somewhere else again. And so, and so I'm, I'm with you, I think, to um, 
to control it, to take the right amount of time to then place the ball into the net. That's that's really impressive because um, you you can rush those opportunities and and fluff your lines or you can overthink and take too long and fluff your lines and you've got to hit that sweet spot and he does it just right yeah I agree and I thought you know it really was deserved as well we were kind of in the ascendancy in that part of the game and and we really showed ourselves well I mean there's we could talk about this all night in terms of the kind of defensive solidity and the the general performance which was just amazing but there's there's two moments in the game I think I really wanted to highlight um Thorgan Hazard's shot that gets pulled back to him <laughs> at the end. Oh my god. Like I like people on Twitter were like, Where's the defenders? Da, da, da. I was just like, forget that, lads. That was an absolutely unbelievable bit of skill. Like the pullback was good because it was exactly where it needed to be. But to guide that ball yeah. at that angle and that height to that close to going in, oh my days. I mean I would have been livid if it goes in, but what what an effort that was yeah it was a beautiful volley wasn't it and just and obviously a very i'm presuming of something they worked on you know as a set piece a little bit different the delivery's great but his volley is just stunning and i'm with you obviously i did not want it to go in but it deserved to go in <laughs> it really did and you know looking at the wider game there i i, I do think that you know they probably deserve to win it if you want to look at the numbers they had 16 shots only four on target 76 percent possession they had basically three times as many completed passes as us but i don't think it felt that way in the game i the felt pos- I the possession we were always in stat it. was the one that really surprised me when yeah. i looked at it because you know we had under uh, the ball under quarter of a percent of the time 24 percent and it didn't feel even the game didn't feel like that at all, did it? Obviously, you'd have said, yeah, they had more possession than us, but not at that kind of, you know, three times as much ratio. It didn't feel like that at all. And I think that reflects how quickly we were moving the ball and how kind of purposefully we used the ball when we did. Um, That just using a timer to to try and kind of analyze what you were doing with the possession is me is meaning this anyway but i think particularly meaning in this game because we were we were when we had the ball we were doing things quickly with it and i think the flip side of that is you're absolutely right by the way i think the flip side to that as well is when we didn't have the ball I think we made them play in a way which they didn't want mm-hmm. to do. We we were we were happy to let them pass the ball sideways on the edge of their own penalty box all afternoon. You like all night. Sorry, you you yeah. knock yourselves out, lads. It, it, like you say, the timing of when someone uses the ball isn't it is irrelevant unless it comes to something. And I think that the stats there. I, I'm going to refer back to Newcastle as I as I often do, but. It reminded me a bit of a game where Newcastle played against Man City a couple of years ago. Newcastle won two one. We barely touched the ball, but when we did, we made it count, and we made Man City play in a way. It was a they played Crystal Palace a couple of weeks ago, and, and Man City were exactly the same there, mm-hmm. where Man City be, uh, Crystal Palace barely had the ball, but when they did they made a difference but they also the key part of it is they made Man City keep the ball in areas that they were happy for them to have the ball and I think that's the yeah. key thing there we we did that in the same way Newcastle that way said to a, said to Man City right if you want to beat us you're going to have to cross the ball into the box and you're going to have to beat us in the air and they couldn't do it in the same way here yes Man uh, Belgium obviously had more kind of possession and uh, more variety of chances but in this in a, in a, in a to a large extent that ball was knocking about the back and we, mm-hmm. you know, we're happy for that to be there, and I think that t- is typifies, you know, the the level of high press in the level of front foot football we did, like the work rate of those players to keep the ball in that area. I think was fantastic, and I think it really it really demonstrates just how effective that press was. Yeah, I mean, I think I, for what for once, I think the possession numbers kind of almost verify the quality of the press, ironically, um, because the possession numbers are, are skewed so one way, and yet, you know, shots on shots on target are pretty even. So I think, I think it's just an interesting demonstration of our ability to have purposeful possession. Um, and as you said, 
I, I hadn't thought of it in quite the way you were describing, but you're, you're quite right, you know, making sure that their possession was fairly meaningless possession as well. I mean, yeah, and I think as a consequence of that, there was definitely an element there where there's a part of me that thought we, we probably could have, I don't want to say should have won the game, but we definitely could have. And I think that chance for, for Nico Williams at the end, I mean, great athleticism and drive as he's shown in both games. Um, and when he's cut inside and hit that, I, I thought that was it. I'll, I will share a funny story. I was I was watching the game in my in my newly built bar room in the house, and uh, the dog was kind of a, asleep on the floor. And as that's as he's cut inside, I've kind of jumped up because I've just convinced myself it's going in, and I've jumped up and started shouting yeah, and then obviously the keepers just kind of pinned it round the corner. And I've my years have turned to ooh really, really quickly, but at the top of my voice. So as I have jumped up and done that, Shearer the dog, bless him, has shit himself. He's had an absolute heart attack. And he's jumped directly up onto four feet. And as he's done so, has let out the loudest fart you've ever heard in your life. The stress, the circumstance, bless him, was just too much. And he looked at me as if to say, like, what the hell are you doing, you stupid, <laughs> stupid man? Uh, and went back down. So I had to watch the final three minutes or whatever it was, ten minutes probably actually with all the added on time in a in a in a cloud of dog fart, um which was uh, which was less than ideal considering I was already feeling fairly sick anyway. But um yeah, I, I just thought it was a it was a fantastic performance from everyone and I think you know I, I've got on my notes here talking about the the system I don't want to talk about the system again because we have done that but I do want to talk about Rob Page who's made who seems to have built that system and that's the way he wants to do it and I think he's given himself the flexibility like you mentioned I mean I was critical of him a couple of weeks ago after the Estonia game a couple of months ago sorry and I think he deserved that criticism I think he made some bad choices and that kind of played out on the pitch with that said I think he's got the last two windows pretty much as spot on as he could have. And I think the, you know, the only thing was that it would be the Czech Republic game. We didn't win it. But I mean, Christ, that wasn't his fault. We did everything we could. We threw the kitchen sink at them there and it just didn't kind of work for us. In the same way that these last two games, we needed to go out and beat Belarus and put a couple of goals on them. And, and we did that. He made the right decisions, the right tactical decisions, the right personnel decisions to kind of keep the game going. In the same way that last night he made the right decisions to keep us defensive in bringing in Morel uh, instead of Wilson in midfield. But he didn't just let us be defensive and let us try and soak it up. He went after the game as well. We, you know, we, he encouraged the players to be front foot. Um, and I think he deserves massive, massive credit for that, especially from people like me who who kind of slagged him after the Estonia game, which, again, I maintain he deserved. But that performance last night was a group of players playing for the manager who understood exactly what was being asked of them and they not only did they understand it they delivered it and I think again he deserves massive credit for that two points just going back to what you were saying about the result and how we we could have nicked it they could have nicked it I think a draw was was a fair and appropriate result in the end um talking about page I think it's I think the development over the last 12 months is really interesting, isn't it? We're basically at the anniversary of, of when he had to take over. And um, I think the evolution, I think we're starting to see some evolution in his thinking and some development in his thinking and um, settling on, on this sort of threefold midfield in an attacking version and a defensive version, depending on the opposition and the game needs, I think is it's it's to be commended. I think we've I think we've got to a good place. Um, you know, the fact that the players went in with very clear clear jobs in both games, with a very clear target in both games, and yet the draw against Belgium wasn't through a kind of dogged um, defensive mantra it was it was actually through taking the game to them at times um so i i'm with you i think overall we should we should he he, he should be getting the applause at the minute because i think there's clearly uh clearly a developing uh a, de a developing manager there and i i i don't think we can underestimate the difficult position that he and the FAW have been put in. Um, you know, if it's felt 
this autumn's games have felt fairly stable in that that regard but it's only it's you know it's it's only really these three windows where there's been to some predictability to to the management uh team um and when you consider that we had two crucial games and we we had bail for a half and not terribly effective bail for a half and acquire Aaron Ramsey in the second game we've got players playing from you know league 1 and upwards we've got a, a lot of players who are barely getting any minutes with their respective teams um i think i think the whole the whole the whole setup just should should be commended Agree. I will. I will have to take a slight uh, issue with Aaron Ramsey comment. I thought I thought he was incredibly effective yesterday at what he did. Um, but that uh, yes, but it wasn't in the in the sense of. I don't mean quiet as in not contributing. I just mean there wasn't. It wasn't like a banner game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose there like was, we it got through. We got real. through those two games, and in the second one of them, he was effective. Don't get me wrong. But he wasn't the headline grabber of the game by any means, and I think, you know, there's there's times past where if we hadn't if we hadn't had Bearland or Ramsey grabbing the headlines, then we weren't doing anything. No, that's fair. That's fair. I I, I thought he was I thought he was fantastic yesterday. I've got I've got to say I thought his. You, you, I suppose you're right. He didn't score a goal or, or, or create a goal, but I just thought everything he contributed was amazing. I thought the way he kept yeah, the and ball I thought there was some was there, there was some defensive work he did that was excellent actually yeah and his pressing um, as well i thought he was just everywhere um to to try and move on just because i'm aware of the time um to the playoffs obviously this was what this was all about you know we've ended up coming second in the group turkey did win uh, against montenegro but not by enough goals so we've snuck into the bottom seeded place and um, if anyone has been living in a shell uh, i will go through and explain things very very quickly the six seeded teams are Portugal, Scotland, Italy, Russia, Sweden, and of course Wales. The unseeded teams are Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia, Ukraine, Czech Republic, and Austria. The way it works is that the semi finals and the final will both be single leg matches. Um, the UEFA website yesterday seemed to confirm that all games will be on the 24th and the 29th, so there's no kind of bonus recovery day for anyone, even though the website still says 24th slash 25th and so on. Um, so I thought I found that quite interesting. Anyway, so what happens is you enter into a little pot of four. So there'll be two seeded teams, two unseeded teams. The two seeded teams avoid each other. And then the winner of that semi-final play each other in a final. It says the home team will be drawn uh, for the for the final. I assumed that would be made on who was the kind of highest seeded team, but it says it will be drawn. So I guess that will all be done on the draw, which will happen on the 26th. The crux of this, uh, to cut a fairly long story short, is being seeded is obviously means you get away from the big teams, if you like, the Italys and uh, and the Portugals in the first semi-final. But there is obviously a chance you're going to come against them in the final. So when the draw is made... It's actually quite interesting because you want to make sure you know who you and who your opponent is in the semi-final, but you also want to avoid having someone like, in our case, Italy or Portugal in our path, if you like, so that the the winners of the other game are also kind of super important to us because you know this is all well and good getting to these qualifiers, but if we don't kind of make it count, then this this is is is, is not for much. So, my my first question, Ruth, is. Obviously, we, I'm assuming uh, that you want to avoid Italy and Portugal. Who would you like to be the other seeded team in our kind of little path from Scotland, Russia or Sweden? I think I'd probably take Russia. Um, Scotland are actually the lowest ranked of that group of six, but they feel like they're going in the right direction at the minute and they've got some momentum. Um Russia are the only other team in that six that are ranked lower than us. So I think I would favour the Russians. Also, presumably, by having the Russians in our little four-way thing, it means we would avoid having U the Ukrainians as a potential first 
first round semi-final opposition because those they can't ultimately Russia can't play Ukraine. It's it's one of the forbidden combinations yeah. for political reasons. So if there is a risk of those two ending up as the finalists in their group, presumably that can't happen. So although they could be drawn in different games in the semi-final round, if they're in the f- same four-way unit, presumably that can't happen. That's, so that's if, if we have if we have the Russians, that reduces that means we can't have the Ukrainians. Um, which I think would be one of the teams I'd like to avoid in pot two. Um, so that's why I'm leaning that way. I think the Russians is a great shout. I think as we were at home, I would probably still take Scotland. They, mm-hmm. I think it was an away game would be different. But we wouldn't necessarily be at home, would we? That's the, that that would. You've got the basically oh, you've got a fifty-fifty yeah. chance in the final of whether you're home or away. That literally is coming out. Um, being drawn out of a hat with no with no waiting, so um, I think, yeah, that the draw is going to be interesting because it's not just who we're, as you say, it's not just who we're facing in that first playoff. It's who we're paired with in our pathway. So, like the 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 first and second teams out of the hat in pot one. So it sounds like UEFA are going to draw pot one first, one to six. And the teams that come out one and two are a pathway. And the teams that come out three and four are the B pathway. And the teams that come out five and six are the C pathway. And the pathways are, at, at that point are completely separate from each other. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what's happening um, in one of the other pathways to, to ultimately our, our outcome. It just, our little group of four is all that, it all that matters. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be quite a tense thing next Friday, actually, because there's a, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have everything from, you know, North Macedonia at home, followed by someone that flukily also from pot two wins their game and becomes your opposition again, could be at home, you know, through to facing Poland and then Italy, you know, it's, it's the, the different permutations that could come out of, it's huge, yeah. It really is, and I mean to add further spice to those uh, to that to that day. Uh, the women's team are also playing Greece on that Friday as well, mm. uh, and Ado Den Haag uh, are playing as well. So it's, it's, it's quite. <laughs> You're it's, gonna have quite a day. It's quite the Friday. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to start drinking very early for that one. I think. Um, yeah, I think for me, obviously, I, I think, obviously, I think I'd prefer North Macedonia. Obviously, of the of the of the of the lower pots in the first game, or, or Austria, I think as long as we avoid Turkey and Poland, I think those are the two for me that carry a threat. Especially if we end up having to go away. Um, oh no, sorry, we can't go away. Sorry, I mean we ca- in the in the final if they were to kind of come through our uh, pathway, if you like. Um, in terms of who we'd play, if we were at home, I'd fancy ourselves against anyone other than Italy. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Even the even the Portuguese, I'd take a chance on them. I really wouldn't fancy ending up playing Sweden away. I've got to be honest. I've watched them a couple of times in this, and they look really good, really effective going forward. Um, I think being where we are helps us get through to the final. And I'm, you know, it's still no guarantee, but if this is a big thing for us, that to help us get through to the final. I think what's hard is that there's a strong likelihood we probably are knowing Wales's luck at least going to end up with a with a Portugal or or an Italy in, in one or a Sweden in one of those games so i think you're right i think i hadn't thought about the russia and ukraine link that's a great shout so i think i'm going to agree with you and steal your answer and say that's who i would like <laughs> in our pathway um but then obviously yeah as i say austria or north macedonia for me would be uh, the preferred ones of the other two even the czech republic i think i think uh, they are eminently beatable well we have beaten them but uh yeah it, it i think it's an exciting uh thing if you like uh to to be in this part of it and i think i, th- I saw someone i forget who now on twitter say like we would have killed to be in the playoffs four years ago when it was when we lost to ireland um and the mm-hmm. fact that we're here now and kind of being i don't want to say blase about it but you know almost like oh, i'd rather them than these you know, four years ago, we would yeah. take we would have taken anyone just to be in those playoffs. <laughs> so again, it just goes to show how kind of far we've come and how exciting uh, 
everything everything is at the moment in Welsh football and the quali- the quality we possess, but also what you know our uh, outlook on things and how positive we are in terms of who we think we can take on and, and could do some damage against. Agreed, agreed. I think you know, there's we've got a chance in this. There's no there's no two ways about it. And yes, the draw can help us or hinder us, but you know we we sh- we've shown we can go toe to toe with good teams. So um, I think we have to go in confidently regardless of, of who we're facing. Um, it, it also emphasises how difficult it is to qualify from Europe, oh, doesn't yeah. it? And the the quality of the European teams and the fact that there's only 13 places available total is um, it's really hard. It really is. It really is. To finish off, Ruth, uh, I want to ask you the key killer question uh, of, of our favourite of our favourite game here. Are Wales going to qualify for the World Cup? Are we going to win our playoff pathway? <laughs> is this is this happening? Are we going to Qatar you, for Christmas? You can't expect you can't expect me to answer that. Oh dear! Not only do I expect um, you to, I, I fully expect well, you to. Well, you see, I said I said we would lose to to Belgium, even though I obviously hoped that wasn't going to be the case. So maybe maybe the safest thing is for me to say no, because. I like being proved. I'd rather be proved wrong. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, I said that we would beat Belarus and then we would draw with Belgium. So I am uh, spot on. I also got the team prediction right as well, which never happens. So um, I'm obviously on flames at the minute. So uh, yeah, I think I think we are going to do it. I've I've decided to be positive. Um, I think we've got enough good players. I think there's not many that we fear and I think there's there's an element of an underdog thing about us still that I think people mm-hmm. would come to us expecting to beat us and turn us over and I think that we'd be able to surprise them and I think that mentality that we have at the moment I think is really rare and I think the mm-hmm. fact that we have that I think is a really positive thing and is something that we can really help and, and will help us carry forward with this. Yep and we've got a good record in the World Cup playoff games after all. Yes absolutely <laughs> stellar huh? God, I I can't even imagine the stress uh, of, of of that uh, of that game of March. But we will worry about that further down the line. Um, I assume Ruth, we will do a podcast uh, following the draw uh, and probably those women's games as well. Um, mm-hmm. So if there's nothing else that you uh, want to add, I think we will uh, we'll call it quits there. Yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks after the draw. We will be talking about the draw, obviously, our potential opponent, well, who our opponents will be and, and obviously what the pathway looks like. And we will also do a review of the women's games. Uh, they are playing Greece and France. If you can go along to watch the Greece game on that Friday night, it's in Lethley, uh, please do go and get yourselves along and support the girls in another key important match but as i say we'll be doing a full roundup of those games and the draw in a couple of weeks after this has happened um thank you very much for joining me ruth yeah that was good you cheered me up a bit after a difficult weekend so thank you for that <laughs> well there you go I'm, I'm glad i finally found my found a use for myself uh i'll take that <laughs> Uh, okay. well, the thought of you, the thought of you there with your cold and recovering from Novocaine, um, poor, poor, confused Shearer. So it's, it's all made me smile. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, yeah, I just just mop up a bit of dribble before we finish off here. Um, well, there you go. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will be back very, very soon. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we will see you for another conversation after the draw. Good night. Bye bye.